so Phil has just really leaned into the fact that he is on video now and I can see him. And so not only is the, the mustache is, is a little more protected than last week, but now we have this nice little pizza sauce layer going around the lips. Look, um, yeah. Isn't that nice? I cooked it all day. Uh, you slow cooked a pizza is what you're, what you're trying to tell us. No, I slow cooked the sauce. The sauce is the most important part of the pizza. Uh, was it like a Goodfellas sauce, sauce cooking yeah, exercise? Yeah, not too much onions. Not too much onions. That's what they always say. I actually cooked a great um, bolognese yesterday. It was... Um, what kind of meat did you use? Ground beef. Ground beef. Okay. 85% lean. Um, yeah. I don't know what, nice. what ratio you go to go with. Some chuck would have been good. nice, but didn't have it. Uh, but yeah, just uh, stewed tomatoes, garlic, onions, always longer on those than you think you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tomato paste... Red pepper flakes. The tomato paste is what I put in this, and it's really money. Isn't your mom inside tomato paste? Yeah, she is. But I, I think, well, we can ask Anya here. She's sitting right next to me. Who has the better sauce, me or my mom? She says she's not going to answer. <laughs> she knows <laughs> where bread is buttered. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've actually had your your sauce, the all-day sauce that we made in Palm Springs. That was, yeah, that was fantastic. It was good, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so back-to-back weeks – Folks, uh, we have a baseball podcast where we talk about nonsense for the first uh, first few minutes, but that's okay. And not only that, this is our first ever, or this is our first podcast of the year where there's actual real life games to talk about. That's true. Yeah, and how, how did the games measure up? You wanted it this very badly, and uh, now we have four of them. And and uh, did it measure up? I, I will say it's weird watching without the fans. Obviously, that's something that I can get over. I'm not mm. going to, like, in this year, I'll take what I can get in terms of in, entertainment and just norm, uh, whatever is even remotely close to normal. It is – it's different. It, it feels like it's a – it doesn't feel real almost because there's just no atmosphere. There's no buzz. There's no excitement. But to me, it all it all is just great watching the game. I could watch the game from the moon, and I wouldn't really care. It, it doesn't matter to me. So in my, my last few years of, of Mariners consumption, I watch a lot of the games on mute, like mo- mm-hmm. most of most of what I'm watching because I'm usually either watching somewhat, something else or on the couch my girlfriend is watching something, but I'm watching the Mariners. And I got to say the experience is almost zero different. And I love what they've been doing with the uh, like the, the Seattle cut shots. Where they're just, do you like that? Okay, I sometimes do. it's like it's jarring to me because like it's right after like someone scores and then they just cut to a new screen and it's like these people cheering and it's like whoa. Well, do you, you know why they have to do that, right? No, because the the Root Sports camera crew is not in Houston or wasn't in Houston. They will be in Seattle when when there's there's home Mariners games, but they're okay. u- they're using the video feed that the Houston broadcast gives them, and then Sims and them are. Call, are calling I the see game. that they're in Safeco. Yeah. Yes. Or so the, T-Mobile. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Dollar in the jar. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So they're calling it from Seattle, even though. So they're, they're they they put that that like here's Alki or whatever feed up probably mm-hmm. when there's something that the Houston broadcast is giving them that is like a promo for Houston stuff. I got it. I yeah. understand now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's their little workaround. I didn't know that. I thought that was just like an aesthetic uh, yeah. design. So yeah. a lot, so a lot of these broadcasts are going to be very neutral in terms of what they show and things like that. Um, so that is what that is what I did know that that they were getting the feed from Houston. Yeah. But like, so they pan to each player about the same amount of time, and like, yeah, yes. it's not like your hometown broadcast. I understand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and there's also just less stuff to pan to because you can't you can't pan to like the you know 
<laughs> group of banshee 10 year old boys running in the right right field bleachers um and there's no <laughs> broadcasters to make fun of teenage girls on their cell phones anymore that's yes. that's like their favorite national pastime <laughs> yeah uh Anya no. says that's very mean that they do that and i agree it's stupid like let them enjoy the game how they want to enjoy the game yeah that was an awkward case study a few years ago yeah. Um, well, that was uh, the cool. one thing I do love about the broadcast is, have you seen like it's a trend among all the teams now? They put their mascots out there in the <laughs> middle of the bleachers with nothing around them. <laughs> it's just the most why, like in a year where you're cutting costs and like you need to like save all the money you can for the MLB, and they bitch and moan about how much money they're gonna lose this year. Yeah, but let's go ahead and hire the mascot to do absolutely nothing at the game. I don't understand that. But eh. Vol- volunteers. All, yeah, maybe all, all those guys are volunteers, just, <laughs> yeah. just psychos. Um, yeah, I saw the Philly fanatic. The Philly fanatic always works harder than, than anyone else, but it is, yeah. uh, that, that is definitely true right now. Um, well, we got four games of baseball, Phil. How many yeah. more? How many more are we going to get? With uh, dude, we're going to get fifty-six more. I there if if what the Marlins just had happened to them doesn't shut the season down in its tracks, MLB is going to play through this thing hell or high water. There is no doubt in my mind. Yeah, so. I had maintained people would ask me, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Mostly when I was talking about the NBA or people would ask me about mm-hmm. that. And, and my response was, was basically that it was going to be very hard for the NBA to make it through a season without any significant um, shutdown of teams or major, major players going down. And we talked about this last week that baseball doesn't have that major, major players problem that, that, yeah. uh, that basketball might, but, the NBA is also in a bubble where there are there is one protocol for all thirty teams and uh, and you know who d- not to take the side of MLB like I know I have in the past but you know who suggested the bubble and who threw the bubble out MLB suggested the bu- bubble and, and the MLBPA came ba- yeah MLBPA came back and said no way are we doing the bubble so kind of reaping what they sow there. It is true. It is true. That was um, that was an opportunity. Was that going to be in Arizona or Vegas? Yeah, it was going to be in it was going to be in the two hot spots in the country right now. But still, the bubble in theory would work even in a hot spot. Uh, it was going to be in Arizona and Florida, and they were going to use all the spring training sites plus the other stadiums. Yeah. So the the the, the Miami Marlins outbreak that's happened um, certainly has has called into question everything that that is going to happen in the future. There's been games postponed. All of the Marlins games are postponed until Sunday. Like Manfred has not, I think, I think the big step that people are most upset about is that Manfred has not publicly stated what it would take for a complete shutdown of a team or complete shutdown of the entire season. I don't even think they know that to be honest with you. Yeah. the, The other thing is it's like, yes, that's true. You want to put out very, detailed vivid protocols yeah but why would you want to set a number why it's like it's like jerry DePoto right, saying, right. saying we're, we're going to be good yeah. in 2021 why would you want I to think, say uh, 15 outbreaks means we got to shut the whole thing down because then it's yeah. like wow fuck we have to shut the whole yeah thing you down. kind of box yourself into a corner by doing that yeah um i will say this i don't really think the M- mlb is going to be the ones that are going to be the ones that say hey it's time to shut this down the players will let you know the fans will let you know when it becomes unethical. The MLBPA will let you know when it com- becomes unethical. MLB is simply the lightning rod, the one that uh, basically takes all the um, divergent opinions and then tries to formulate a plan off of it. They're not the ones that are actually driving the bus here. They're the, they're the ones ultimately with the authority. But if the players come, it comes to a point where the players are saying, hey, this is unsafe and more and more guys are opting out 
more and more guys are getting getting COVID and the fans turn away because it's just too excruciating to kind of watch this grotesque season. The MLB will know that, and it'll it, that the time will come. Well, you said grotesque season. Just about, I'm imagining like. Mookie Betts just like bunting and then like wheezing on his way to first. And there's no one standing on first <laughs> playing first base because they're just all dead. That's you, you know <laughs> like, what I mean. I say the grotesque season. Like if it becomes so untenable, maybe it, I, I hate to be so morbid about it, but maybe who's to say if somebody who's older, Dusty Baker, somebody like that, gets COVID and has a really serious illness with it, and then that's in the Wall Street Journal, that's in the New York Times. And that's just too untenable for baseball to take all that bad publicity. Maybe that's when they hit the, you know, abort button. But until something really dramatic happens that sways public opinion, because public opinion is still very much on the side of, hey, let's just push through this thing. Uh, until something happens that's so dramatic that pushes the other way on it, MLB's not shutting down. Yeah. I know, They'll do I know. everything they can to not. You said it earlier, the MLB's job is to make everyone involved in baseball as much money as possible. And mm-hmm. so, and so uh, the 60 game plan is, is a, is a, ha- is a measure to make that happen. And they're going to keep going until, until uh, proven otherwise. I think mm-hmm. my, my kind of like dumb sports fan reflex with all this is like, probably not a great idea, but if they're going to do it, like, I'm just going to, I'm, I, that's, I mean, uh, I'm into it. I'm sorry. Like, that's I'm, where I'm at, too. I'm just going to plug my nose and uh, just try and watch it and enjoy it the best way I can. Because at this point, I still feel like – and maybe this, maybe I'll be one of the ones that's subject to change. But at this point, I still don't feel that this is unethical. I feel like it's just as dangerous for these guys to be out on the streets or working in a grocery store or doing anything else. I just don't feel like it's adding undue harm to any MLB player. I, ju- I just don't. Not yet, at least. Maybe my opinion will change on that. I think we're seeing a lot of it, the the preemptive, and there was a big, big wave of the NFL players, like like pretty decent NFL players, say Dante Hightower being one of them, who opted out of of this next football season. I think that wave could come fairly soon with baseball players, of just understanding like, hey, the way I want to continue to live my life or, or I'm worried about this with my family – Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't work. I'm, I'm out. And it could, it could just happen like a, like, you know, a, a seventh of the league just kind of this. Yeah. Is, it could be a out. tidal wave. Yeah. It takes it, like a guy like trout to do it. It would take a big name to do it before mm-hmm. something like that happened. But yeah, it's certainly plausible. And I mean, from the, the team cancellation thing, they did that in the MLS, like the, the Dallas yeah. uh, MLS team had to go under and like, it's the MLS with the micro, the microscope is a yeah. tenth of the but size. But I mean, if 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 we had to play the season without the Marlins, would anybody really, you know, shed a tear about that? I I can't imagine that that would be the case. But and I'm sure the MLB would work something out so it's fair for you know playoffs and seating and all that stuff. If the Marlins had to forfeit all that all their games, but would that really be the straw that broke the camel's back and say, oh, I'm not watching anymore? Like, no, we're gonna watch baseball because it's still baseball. Until we get to the grotesque part. Yeah, then, until Mookie's leaving. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, well, that was the first thing I want to talk about. It's just, just yeah. the uh, kind of uh, looming cloud. And I don't mean world. to sound cavalier, like, to the people who are listening. I, I know it's very serious, and it's a, it's a bad situation, what's going on with the Marlins right now. But right now, they just did another round of intake testing. The Marlins are the only team that had a, a pot, even one positive case. So things around the league are actually looking okay if you take the Marlins out of the equation. Mm. And, and it sounds like, and I'll, I'll bring this up later, but it sounds like it was players 
going rogue and doing what they're not supposed to. Right. And so like there's, there's protocols in place and essentially I think it just has to come down to, Hey, if you can't do it, that's fine. Yeah. Honor really, the protocols or opt yeah. out. End of the yeah. story. Yeah. So through four games, we'll uh, spend our next two. I was supposed to do some um, uh, delineage of, of uh, or delineation of, of what our um, format is here. We do go three up, three down. That was, that was the first one. This, this, mm-hmm. the second big point we'll talk about here is our, our hitting takeaways through four games um on the on the, the the mariners batting side and i think uh a guy to start with is a guy that we talked about before we've talked about over and over uh it's kyle lewis and it's kyle lewis is mm. one word or one letter which is the letter k uh kyle lewis had yeah. quite an interesting four games hit the ball very hard a couple times the opposite field has has looked really good other than the fact that he struck out at 44 percent of the uh plate appearances that he's that he's had so far are you ready for me to make a take that's probably going to come back and haunt me, a la Brandon League? <laughs> I was about to say, is this in the, the league zone? Absolutely. It could be. It could be. I don't see it with Kyle Lewis. I don't see a major league player. I, I Right now, things can change, and his approach may be able to be adjusted. But he had exactly one at-bat in that whole four-game series where he put the ball in play and it didn't result in the hit. That's not going to last. We just know it's not going to last. It's never it's lasted true. for any. It's never lasted for any MLB player in the history of the game. It, could Kyle Lewis be the one in a million? Potentially, would I bet my life on it? No. And if he keeps striking out at the rate he strikes out, granted, if you watched how the Astros were pitching him, they were pitching him like he was Mike Trout. Everything was sliders low and away outside the zone. They were not going to let him, um, you know, get a fastball in the middle of the plate. But even on those rare occasions where he was getting pitches that he could square up in those at-bats that he didn't square him up, he was swinging and missing. And that's always been a huge Achilles heel for him. Not even the strikeouts. It's the swing and the miss on the hittable pitch that he just has to clean up or he's not going to be a major league player. Yeah, the, the 44% strikeouts through, through four games is uh, of, of his plate appearances. Four games, very small sample size. But just for context, that Domingo Santana led the major leagues in strikeout percentage last year with 32%. So that mm-hmm. number has to come way, way down, way down. Um, in order for it to be even somewhat viable. And I don't think Domingo Santana is on a major league roster this season because of exactly that. He, the one thing I will say about Lewis, though, he did show the propensity to walk. Granted, they weren't, like I said, they weren't giving him a ton of pitches that were even remotely hittable. But – if the guy that he's going to become this three true outcome player that we're kind of seeing him develop into, you need the third true outcome, which is walks. And mm-hmm. it looks like that's starting to come around. You didn't really see it in that 18 game sample last year, but it looks think, like it's starting to come around this year. I think four walks in this series uh, compared to three in his entire 80 some at, at, at bats last year. Um, yeah. So certainly something to, to work on, but uh, yeah, definitely have to, to clean up the strikeout part of it. I think with, with Kyle Lewis, the, the the raw skills are so apparent. Um, yeah. The, the opposite field power, even even how he looks running in center field, the, the athleticism, all that is so evident. He's, um, a, he's a plus base runner, plus power. He's got all these tools. You're right. It, that, that it's hard for me to imagine him not, uh, like, just for it to fall off a cliff very quickly, especially given the injury history. Like, this guy does not have – a, a grizzled minor league history where he saw, mm-hmm. you know, an entire season of, of, of really good at bats to, to work with. There's so, my hope. And that's what you, that exactly what you said. He has 1200 or less than 1200 plate appearances in all of the minor leagues. Yeah. So he, only, he doesn't have even 
you know, two full seasons. I know he sounds like he's been around forever. He was drafted in two, 2016, but he has less than two full seasons of major, minor league plate appearances. And now on top of that, guys in the MLB are pitching him like he's uh, Albert Pujols in his prime. Mm-hmm. So yes. we'll see what he can do to adjust. But right now, the strikeout thing, the swing and miss thing, it's way too much. I, I'm, I'm sensing that, you, that you're preparing the defenses that, that you you uh, you've you've set up your your like if Kyle Lewis is successful, it's because of these things that I warned you about. Um, yeah, him, him figuring out it's 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 a good long term place that you don't get Brandon League. Yeah, well, I mean, let's be honest. If he miraculously, if I could wave a magic wand and say Kyle Lewis is only going to strike out in. 15% of his plate appearances next year. Yeah, of course he's going to be like a – he might be the best player in the MLB, but that that strikeout issue is so bad and so apparent. I, and I – from my eye test, it doesn't look like he's really all that comfortable when he gets two strikes on him either. He's not really, you know, battling. He's just kind of trying to find one that he can square up. He, he battled a little bit. Uh, there was there was <laughs> one at-bat where he, where he fouled off a slider and he just he just – just got to it to keep it alive and then I think ended that at bat with it with a with a single um and maybe this is just my aesthetic thing with watching baseball but I really just don't maybe I'm biased because I don't really like I recognize the value but I don't really like that type of player profile I've never really liked the whole three true true outcomes thing just walk strike out or home run and that's you got that guy with Kyle Lewis and I I'm more of a guy who likes to see a strong hit tool and a guy who can spray the ball around the field and makes contact and doesn't strike out a lot. That's just the way I've always enjoyed baseball. So maybe I'm biased in that way, just because I don't really enjoy aesthetically that sort of game, but we'll see. One of these days we'll have to do a draft of our like favorite baseball things and like uh, a, a well hit ball into the gap that you're thinking, is this two or is this three is one mm-hmm. of, one of my, my favorite that's yeah it's a beautiful part of the sport and it's kind of getting phased out which is sad to see yeah well we've spent our uh, our weekly five minutes on on Kyle Lewis strikeout rate but let's let's talk about what else stood to, stood out to you uh from the batter's box with the ends this this past series uh I mean I told you about this via text today but I it looks to me again it's hard to judge off of four games but it looks to me like JP Crawford is every bit the player that he was when he was ranked, you know, the number, it was only what, two years ago, he was the number three prospect in all of baseball and two, three yeah. years ago. And it looks like he's found the strike zone. He really understands. He really is just like professional when he hits, he understands play discipline. He understands what's a ball, what's a strike. And he, he had this problem last year and I've noticed what he's been doing this year is a little different. He would get jammed every single at bat on these inside fastballs. And now you look at the way he sets up on the plate. He's so far away from the plate, but his bat still covers the outside. It's, yeah. I, I think that was a small little adjustment, but it, it, it was one that really made a difference. For him. I was, I was going to talk about that, that, that batting stance thing. When he, when he first opens up and when the pitcher starts his delivery, you're thinking, like, how would you ever make contact? You, you yeah. are, you're five feet away does. from the he, plate. He gets plate coverage over the outside corner. That, yeah. then, you know. it's, it's a very consistent uh, – approach that he's taken to to his at bats that that I I really like and I think as a as a pitcher it allows him to see everything a little bit better and I think as a pitcher it's a little deceiving to to pitch to when it, it kind of feels how like many how many times did uh there were balls in off the plate yep. that on a on a normal hitter distance wise that's like a strike on the inside corner but with him standing so far back it's ball one ball two you know 
Yeah, J JP has looked looked really solid. The uh, three extra base hits um, in the series uh, drew. I think I, I think he what was what, what, oh, five walks and seventeen plate appearances. Which That's is, amazing. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, if he can just consistently get on base with his. And speed. you know what's funny? The, all the fanfare is about Kyle Lewis, Kyle Lewis, Kyle Lewis. Right now, great again, four games, but they're on pace to put up the same exact WAR mm -hmm. this year. So. JP's doing it in a completely different way, not striking out, walking a lot, taking doubles, triple. He had two triples the other night, you know? So he just does it in a way, maybe to me, that's a little more aesthetically pleasing. What, quickly, what did you think of uh, Evan White's double playmate, uh, Shed Long, during the series? Uh, growing pains. He's yeah. got some... He's got some. Uh, he's got some work to... Sorry, that's Anya telling me to uh, put my foot up. Uh, she's got... He's got... a. Um, Evan, got Phil's, Phil's playing through pain this week. We got a uh, yeah, yeah. Bro broken right ankle. Sprained. Yeah, not broken. Amputated ankle. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he's. It looks like he's not totally comfortable at second base. And remember, you got to remember this about Shed. He was a catcher going all the way through the minor leagues, so he's still relatively new to second base. He was uh, played in left field last year. He didn't get consistent. Even in Tacoma, he played left field, right field, shortstop, second base. So I think having him just consistently be the second baseman for the next 60 games, yep. writing, penciling him in every single game, whether you make three errors, you make the greatest play a second baseman's ever made, you're going to be the second baseman, and you're going to learn how to play this position. I think that's going to go a long way um, – into helping him figure out – or helping, I guess, the Mariners figure out if he really is a viable long-term option. What did you think of uh, of Evan White at first? It's pretty – it's ballet. It, like, watching him – it's watching him is like watching ballet at first base. It's unbelievable. I've never seen a first baseman play like him. It, well, I, th I think the, the ballet, his, his ability to, to get the balls, his range, I think it just speaks to his general athleticism. Like, he, he is a, a fantastic athlete. His, mm -hmm. uh, he beat his first hit was a ground – it was a single that he legged out. Infield first base, which is an impossible feat of the, any Mariners first baseman for basically our entire lives uh, mm -hmm. doing something like that. Uh, his ability to kind of get down on one knee and get to pitches and, and uh, his ability to, to run. And, and he just, he's just a, a, a great athlete and his balance and, and ability to, to work with his body is like, and it's so rare to see a first baseman like that. Yeah. Usually yeah. it's these big clunky guys all at Vogelbach, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, so that, that part is, is great. But what about his bat? He had the, the home run last night. Um, he had an impressive uh, RBI out to left field. I think it was in mm -hmm. the, the, Sunday it was a Granky game. game. Yeah, it was the Granky yes. game. He hit it off Granky. Yeah, it was and a great. Hit, hit it was that a ball great. Hard. And you know what I like about both of his um, RBI, I guess RBI hits, the home run and the uh, Granky hit. They both came off two strike off speeds stuff, and that for like a guy who's never even hit above Double A, hitting with authority off speed stuff from a major leaguer. And, and, you know, in a pressure situation, that, that's just light years ahead of where he should be developmentally. So, I mean, we know he can hit a fastball. He's, he hit fastballs. He hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball in, uh, out to over the bullpens in the summer camp. But to be able to watch him, you know, swing and actually make, do some real damage with these off-speed pitches is something that's light. A lot of guys take two, three years to really develop into that kind of guy who can do damage with the off-speed stuff. Uh, that being said, he did strike out five times as well. So he's he's got yes. some work to do too.
yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think he gets a, a different pass than Kyle Lewis does at this point. Uh, a, just he's he's younger um, and has yeah. much less less experience in in the. And his track record wouldn't suggest that strikeouts are a problem for him in the minor leagues, whereas Lewis, that was a problem for him in the minor leagues as well. Exactly. Uh, in the first base platoon, if you will, but but hopefully not much more. Uh, does uh, does Dan Vogelback suck? I think so. <laughs> um, he was an all star last season. I was reminded of that. He uh, they're giving him the game off again tonight. That makes three straight games in a row to just work on his swing. He just looks lost. Yeah, it doesn't even look remotely like what we saw at the first half of last year. It's 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 this weird. I can I can kind of like visualize it. It's like his swing is just like completely like he he's not moving. It his, yeah, it's, yeah, it's I, really strange. Uh, like his swing and misses on strike threes are tough to watch. Yeah, it's almost like he swats at the ball and he doesn't really actually ever commit to hitting it. And he's so goddamn strong that like yeah. sometimes that works out for him, but it, it never feels like he's fully committing to a swing. Yeah, it, it's a it's a weird phenomenon because I mean at this point of of last season we would have penciled him in as a as a cornerstone of this this mm-hmm. rebuild as as your DH of the future, and uh, it does not look like that at all. I mean, eight no, at bats, but but that's part of that's part of I think. Uh, the natural process of a rebuild you get guys who you think are going to be good who turn out to not be good you get guys who you didn't really count on like how many people would have said oh jp crawford that's definitely the guy for shortstop at this time last year probably not a lot but now we're starting to see so you get guys who weren't great who may be developing into something and then on the converse end you get guys who you had high hopes for flame out maybe like kyle lewis but let's knock on wood that doesn't happen yeah Let's move to the mound here. Uh, the pitching takeaways through four games. Um, overall, some good qualitative stuff, but just just to put this into perspective, through four games, every Astros position player had a WRC plus of over 100. So mm. they uh, they teed off on the Mariners staff uh, a little bit. Um, both the start, I mean, the, the relievers you and I have talked about, we've kind of aren't paying attention as much to that side of, of the game just because that's not where the Mariners talent lies. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's in the starters. That's where the investment is. Um, but uh, I think we've kind of chatted about this. It's, it's less about the box score right now than it is yeah. sort of qualitative stuff. I would throw the box score out, but what I saw from Graveman throwing 98 when he was 92, 93 sinkers slider type of guy. Yeah. And now he's 98 four seam fastball with a nasty cutter. It's really – I mean, he lost it a little bit yesterday. He lost a little bit of the feel for the strike zone. And, that, like, the Astros – the Astros are a, a, still a super team. Mm-hmm. Bregman is still oh, very, nice. very good. So, it, I, I'd like to see these guys go up against a team like the Angels, a team like the Twins, a team like – who are still good teams with good offenses but don't necessarily punish you for every minor mistake like the Astros do. They are just so competent when it comes to hitting. Up yeah. and down, one through nine. Yeah, we uh, Michael Brantley is is I mean that that's that's the part about this this whole rebuild and and uh, reimagining and all that is like the points the Astros got where they had just this surplus of talent just allowed them to go out and trade for uh, mm-hmm. or pick up Verlander trade for Granke uh, sign Brantley go get yeah. these guys to to really put them or go get you know unfortunately go get Roberto Asuna like just, yeah. just the 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 surplus of talent just allowed them to, to do this. And that's the kind of forgotten part of, of this with the Mariners is like, you know, we started about talking about Kendall Graveman, but more like how did the Astros get a guy like Michael Brantley? It's just, just, they have, they, they they have really good players that don't cost a lot because they're all young mm-hmm. and developed. 
And um, hopefully that's where the Mariners are going. Exactly. But to, to the point about Graveman, I kind of hate that it's a six-man game, six man rotation at this point because I want to see him pitch again yeah, soon. Me like, too. I want to see that guy again. He, I mean, he was he electric good. last night. Yeah. yeah. Um, he and was, it's so weird that we're talking about how good he looked when, you know, the box score was five runs over four innings or something like that. But he looked – I mean, that's where it comes into – and you know me, I'm like the most analytics guy there is. Like, oh, looking – you could tell everything you want to see from the box score. But sometimes you really can't. And with that guy, that line did not do him justice for what kind of stuff he was pumping, how dominant he looked at times. So I think it's coming for him. He struck I mean, out. Remember, Jordan. that was his first start in two years. Eight, so. 800 plus days it had been since he had started a Major League Baseball game. He str- and he goes out there, strikes out uh, George Springer, Jose Altuve, and Alex Bregman in his first three, first three um, uh, hitters that he faced. Um, yeah, he. I, I like that in, in his uh, post-game stuff, he was very hard on himself, too. Like, he was not mm-hmm. just like, you know, it felt good to be back out there, you know, I made some mistakes, but, you know, gosh, it's nice to play baseball again. He, yeah. was, like, he was like, no, I, I, I left um, – there was a, there a Seager error, and then he walked um, – Yeah, he, there was a Seager error walk, and then the Bregman home run. Yeah, exactly. So, so he was very hard on himself and just talking about how that can't happen. And, like, this is a guy who, for all intents and purposes, should just – you know, no one would fault him if he's just happy to be back out yeah. there. But he, he is dialed in and wants to do really well. He wants – and the Mariners have him on a cheap option next year if they want to. And I don't I, – I would exercise the option today, honestly. <laughs> I, saw, I saw enough yesterday. He was throwing 98 miles an hour. That's a six-mile-an-hour bump from yeah. where he was. It's unbelievable. And, and, and yeah, I mean, he, he, was, he was absolutely phenomenal. But he also looked – great in the previous interest squad game uh, mm-hmm. before that so so this didn't come completely out of nowhere that, that we kind of knew that this might have been a fine before that but obviously yeah. that's going against the mb squad guys um instead of uh the astros but yeah that was that was a really really positive sign um in the qualitative department is from kendall graveman um marco we can kind of pass on we we know yeah we know, don't, we know there's it. nothing really to say about him. exactly he's a known exactly. commodity he's a known commodity we know who he is what he is and that's and, what it is and so I want to talk instead about uh, Yusei Kikuchi, who um, still got hit really hard and walked too many mm-hmm. guys, which is uh, a, a calling card of, of, yeah. of his entire major league stint. The one thing to note there is that his, uh, his fastball velocity, which averaged out at 92.5 miles an hour last year, was up to 95.9 uh, through, mm-hmm. through his start yesterday or on Saturday. But that was uh, – a, a nice improvement to see his velocity. He just could not locate um, throughout throughout his start. He's got to be. He's he's going to end up being the most frustrating guy on the team. He's just good enough, and he's got just enough promise where you don't want to give up on somebody like him. But if you can't, I mean, uh, from high school on, what do they tell you? If you can't locate your fastball when you need to locate your fastball, it doesn't matter how hard you throw. It doesn't matter how crisp your off speed stuff is. You need to be able to locate the fastball if you're behind three one. I need to make sure that when I have a guy on the mound at, and it's a 3-1 count, I can actually get something in the zone that's a competitive pitch. And there's a difference between just throwing one right down the middle and grooving it to a guy. But I want a competitive pitch on a 3-1 count. If you're a major league starter, that's a prerequisite. That's a, mm-hmm. You just have to. You, if you can't do that, go to the bullpen because you just need to be able to do that if you're a starter. Yeah, and unfortunately, this is a guy who makes $16 million a year and was um, was kind of a, a, a figure in to, to this. There's still plenty of time for him to figure it out, but um, I think just in terms of can we check one box, can you improve the velocity on the fastball, uh, he did that at least through through one start yeah. with, with Kikuchi. 
anything else in, in the way of, of arms to talk about? It's, it's not as exciting as the other side. Yeah, I don't really feel like I need to say much about Taiwan Walker. I, he is, he's another Marco Gonzalez. He is what he is. He's a fifth starter if on a decent team, and he'll hang around the league for a while because somebody always needs something like that. But, no, I don't, I don't believe Taiwan, even though, you know, we all love him here because of the history that we have with him. Um, he's, not, he's not a competitive piece on a playoff team. He's an old flame. That's that's for yeah. sure. Um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about something that I wanted to, to get people to to hear you talk about how you are watching guys because mm. uh, you just said there's you know the, there's a lot of this that's that's box score but then a lot of the the things with the young players especially are kind of the nuances in how they approach at bats and, and what types of pitches they're responding to or or, or throwing in some cases. Um, let's start with JP Crawford. When you're, when you're watching yeah. Crawford's at bats, you've, you've looked at all of them this year. What types of little things are you looking for out of him to show improvement? So I'll give you the big one that I always look for after every single one of his at bats. It's a stat cast, um, analysis. It's exit velocity. Mm-hmm. Last year, uh, Crawford was in the bottom 3% of all major league qualified hitters in exit velocity. I think off the bat, he was going 85 on average, 85 off the bat. Um, and this year he's our, and the, I don't only look at average. I also want to see top end, right? Yeah. Because top end tells you how hard this guy can hit the ball. It's an indicator into the future. How hard can you really hit the ball? So this, his high last year was something very, very low, like 94, 95 miles an hour off the bat this year. He, it, believe it or not, the most encouraging at bat I've seen from him, he made an out. It was 103 miles an hour off the bat. And that tells me he's gotten stronger. He's gotten leaner. He's gotten more explosive. And those little dribblers that he used to hit, they might start finding holes if he can put a little more authority behind him. And it looks like he is so far. It looks like uh, we don't need him to be Kyle Lewis with 112 miles an hour, 113 miles an hour off the, off the bat. He's a shortstop. That's not a realistic ask. Um, but we, what we would like to see is something around – with his plate discipline and his understanding of the strike zone, you'd like to see an exit velocity close to league average to make him a really valuable piece. And I think he's, I mean, granted it's four games, but he's, uh, he's on pace to do that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's impressive. And like, like you said, with, with all of that, that added plate discipline that he has and his ability to just get on base with, without swinging the bat, um, uh, drawing walks and then to also hit the ball hard. That's, that's great signs out of Crawford. Uh, who, who else, yeah. who else would you want to microanalyze here? I am really excited. We'll be able to watch him for a few innings here. Well, I'll be able to watch the whole game. I think you'll probably have to go to sleep. Um, but I'm really excited to watch Justice Sheffield, his new, the debut of his new two-seamer. So mm-hmm. remember last year – sorry, I'm looking from – oh, there it is. Um, remember last year with Sheffield, he was throwing a four-seamer, and his four-seamer had horrible spin rates, right? Yep. His four-seamer was in the first percentile – of all four seamers that have been thrown in the league that year. And what that tells you is usually you want to throw your four seamer at the top of the zone, because if you have a good four seamer and it has a good spin rate, you get that Garrett Cole effect where the ball, right. It doesn't actually rise, but to the eye, it mm. looks like it's rising on you. And that's what causes a lot of swing and miss. And you swing under the ball with, with Sheffield. He really couldn't miss generation at the, at the top of the zone because the ball, was flat and got instead of working on rate and doing the whole blah 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 blah. What he's done instead is uh, 
he's just scrapped the four seamer. Maybe he'll use it on occasion, but he's mostly scrapped the four seamer and he's gone to a two seamer, which fits his profile better because a two seamer, you actually want it to sink and ride a little bit. You don't, mm. and you generate a lot of ground balls that way. So he's, he's kind of going to, I'm going to look really well, or I'm going to look really hard at how he's, um, locating that two seamer hopefully it's going to be down in the bottom of the zone so last year if you look at old game tape of, of Sheffield it was all at the top of the zone everything all the fastballs were at the top of the zone and then he'd back foot the slider and he'd go low with the change up and all that stuff but now we almost want to see exclusively Sheffield live in the bottom half of the zone like uh Tom Glavin or like those guys that they you know how the pitchers used to pitch I know it sounds crazy but that's that used to be a cardinal sin throwing anything above the belt and now it, it's done routinely it looks like sheffield's trying to tailor his game to become a little bit of a throwback to the times when it was all in the bottom of the zone at the knees live at the knees work east and west not north and south uh his name is hearkened to a throwback of of two players who lived in that era uh david justice and gary sheffield yeah so, <laughs> let's, let's yeah and that's the, that's the type think of old school I mean, the very, very best guy at doing this type of thing. I'm not saying Justice Sheffield would do this because this guy was is a Hall of Famer. But Tom, I, I think I mentioned his name, Tom Glavin. He was the king of that, working east and west, but only at the bottom of the zone, inside and out, but only he never touched above the belt ever. Mm-hmm. And and you won't get hit hard, and you won't get you know mm-hmm. be very craning your neck to to see balls go over your head if if that's the, exactly. the case and you throw that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Sheffield is another guy who had a great, um, last start at his inter-squad game, the way he was, he was striking guys out and just looking competent, looking confident on the mound. Because the sliders are the real pitch. That is uh-huh. a really good pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember I was talking about that last year was, uh, was just kind of the, the, if Sheffield can't generate movement on his four seamer, why not just throw a two seamer to, to, which has nat- more natural built in movement, just the way, mm-hmm. the way you throw the pitch. Um, I, uh, talking about StatCast, as, as we just did, I think, with, with Crawford, you can go to StatCast, uh, at baseballsavant.com, and look at Justice Sheffield and just see where his pitches lie. And, and that throughout the season, that will be a good way to track it. It's just seeing you know, yeah. how much, what percentage of, of his, his throws end up uh, at, at the hitter's knees or around that. Uh, Very oh, rarely do you – oh, yeah, go for it. No, fin- finish that point, then we'll move on. I was going to say very, very rarely, if ever, is a pitcher intending to throw a two-seamer up in the zone. It just – it really doesn't happen. You're really trying to throw a two-seamer down in the zone. So, yeah, it, it, it would be a good way to uh, – if, if you see him leave a pitch up, you can almost guarantee it was a mistake. That's just an easy way to look at him this year. One more guy uh, to uh, – what, what, what are you looking for with, with how they developed this year? Sorry, I think I think my internet's cutting out. One second. <laughs> Say that one more time. One more guy for how you're looking at how they're going to develop this year. Oh, okay. Can I do Shen uh, Long again? You can do Shen And I, I, I won't focus on the uh, the second base aspect. I want to focus more on just the hitting side of it. So we know he's got pop for a little guy, right? Yep. But the problem with Shed is that he is uh, not – so Kyle Lewis, he, he swings at pitches and misses, right? And, but he usually has a good idea of which pitches to swing at. He's, he doesn't really go chasing out in the, outside the strike zone, right? Mm. So with Shed, it's a little bit different of a story. When Shed does swing, he swings and makes contact a lot of the time. He's much bet, more proficient at that than Kyle Lewis is. But 
what he does do wrong is he goes for pitches that don't create damage. If you look at his O, o, o swing percentage and Z swing, which we've talked about on this podcast before, pitches outside the strike zone, pitches inside the strike zone, he's in the bottom quarter of the league right now. Uh, granted, four games against a super, super good and talented uh, pitching staff with the Astros. But he, the problem is he does make contact even when it's outside the zone. It's just not pitches that you can do damage with. And we've seen it uh, a couple of times. He's let off, I think, two out of the four games, first pitch swinging, ground out. And it's just he swings at every, a lot of stuff that you shouldn't be swinging at. I think he needs to – I wish him and Vogelbach could kind of merge minds because Vogelbach doesn't swing enough. Shedlong is almost overly aggressive and doesn't wait for a good pitch because he can put a lot of stuff in play. So it's kind of, it comes back to haunt him a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, an, an easy thing that you can also track on sweat, so on, uh, on Sackcast with, uh, with Shed's O swing percentage and Z swing percentage. Uh, Z being, of course, in the zone, O being outside of the zone, mm-hmm. um, looking at both of those. Uh, for, for timing purposes, uh, we were going to talk about the, the part one of the, the Seattle Mariners Dorktown uh, yeah. episode. Um, when John Boyce and, and Alex Rubenstein of, of SB Nation. Uh, it is phenomenal. I can't wait to talk about it, um, but just uh, not, not in the cards this week for, for the time that we have um, this week. Oh, my God. But Hold on. The, the game is on. The game is on, and I'm missing it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Do you have it on? I, I had it on, but it was messing with, with, uh, with my internet. But I did see Evan White uh, single-handedly get a, a double play at, at first to – Get the first two outs of the first inning. But we will talk about uh, the Dorktown episode at some point uh, here soon, starting probably next week. We'll, we'll spend a little more time on it. But uh, to, to wrap this up, let's do our, our Yellow Hydro of the Week and uh, rename our, our Dave Sims Fedora of the Week. Yellow Hydro, I'm going to start with, uh, with Evan White for getting on the board with his first dinger. Um, for somehow not causing a, a Major League Baseball rules violation with the size of his glove, which is to me feels illegal for how big it is. It's too big. <laughs> it's huge. Uh, it's like I think it was the Kyle, was it the Kyle Seeger or the Beltre? It was the Beltre uh, Mariners commercial from a few years ago where they had him with a giant glove. Uh, it honestly feels comically sized, but obviously uh, it, it works for him and yeah, it works. With it. So yeah, Evan White, yellow, first yellow hydro of the year. Can I give a yellow – I'm going to go outside the box. Can I give a yellow hydro to a guy who does not play baseball but is in the sports realm? Rob Manfred? No. <laughs> he gets the fedora if we were going to have a fedora. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. So, I think he's the right tackle or the right guard on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, Lorraine Duvernay-Tardif. What a story that was. I just read the Wall Street Journal, Journal article on that like right before uh, we, we sat down to do the podcast, so it's fresh in my mind. But could you imagine foregoing all that money and all that prestige to work in a high-risk environment with, you know, it's just unbelievable. If you, you can tell the story. I'm sure you'd be better at doing it than, than I would be. Yeah, uh, Duvernay Tardif got his, uh, I think his, his, phd or his md uh last last summer um and i i was it was so absurd of the nfl who lets basically every player put like the third or junior or whatever mm-hmm. on their jerseys they did not let him put md or phd yeah. on, on his yeah, on his what? jersey uh which would have been the coolest jersey ever i'm just like here's here's a here's like it's like a like a like a nickelodeon show a guy who plays yeah. football on sundays and is a doctor during the week 
Um, but yeah, he is an absolute badass and, and is more focused on, on uh, not being a part of, of a lucrative sport and wants to just go right into the, the field of medicine. He's also Canadian. So that's, that's what yeah. colors his, his also altruism. going right into the field of medicine when it's most needed and most dangerous. It's mm-hmm. very noble. And there's, there's also, uh, from my line of work of like, uh, what are you doing playing football? If you're, if you're smart enough to, to be a doctor, yeah. like, that, you, yeah, from you, your line you know of work, going on? yeah. Um, but that is, uh, that is a whole different, different, we can't have him there. hurt his brain. No, no. And he also plays line, which, uh, puts yeah. him at highest risk for that. But he has a uh, high cognitive shelf, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Du- Duvernay Tardif is a great one. Any any uh, M's names to throw in there? Uh, let's see. I mean, Graveman's the easy choice. 800 days without yeah. pitching and, 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 and coming back. I guess you could even say the same thing about Taiwan Walker, another Tommy John guy. So we have some guys on the team who have good stories and coming back. And how about this guy who's in the game right now? Joe Odom. Wasn't even invited to summer camp. He's been in the organization. He's been like an organizational filler his whole career, just like a backup catcher. He started in Tacoma last year, but like, who cares? Like he was hardly even a guy anyone would think about and didn't even get, he didn't even get the service of getting invited to camp. That's how little the Mariners thought of him. Of You know, they invited how many guys to camp 70, but he waited his time. He didn't complain. And now he's starting a game against the angels tonight. It's a, it's a great story. It's his MLB debut. Welcome to the show, Joe Odom. Yeah, that's that's yeah. awesome. Um, we uh, la- last year we're doing the the Dave Sims Fedora of the week um, because we we had previously ragged on Dave Sims uh, and his mostly his fashion. He's a, he's a great announcer, uh, but now that he has been a, a guest on the podcast, I, I cannot disparage his name any longer. Yeah. That segment is retired. Dave Sims, keep your fedoras. We love you. Uh, go listen to that episode. Um, it was it was great. It was a few weeks. After it was like early April, so the yeah, the world so wasn't, right after COVID. Yeah, I listened to the episode; it's wonderful. Wasn't completely miserable at that point. So my suggestion is we we uh, we, we renamed this segment uh, the Eric Burns Bike Ride of the Week um, for for the player who we would like to say uh, go or player or person or thing take a bike ride, get out of here, uh, and say 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 your swan song to yeah. to us, so we never have to see you again. That's a good. I like that one. Can we say that to D? <laughs> to, to D Gordon is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I, d- I don't like watching him anymore like I'm so happy about the Mariners but I just I would rather watch something else at that point if like uh, it's just so frustrating to watch yeah it's, it's it is hard to see him like try his his best to maybe get an infield single like that that's yeah. like the, the best we can do at this point with with the uh I had Rob Manfred as, as take, take your ride of the week for for just uh being so so um kind of hands off about all of this um, yeah. and just kind of very vague about everything. Although we talked about that earlier, but my, my true winner is the city of Atlanta who Why? Uh, the city of Atlanta is what claimed both Lou Williams who had to leave the bubble to go oh. to, to magic city uh, to get or to magic city, the gentleman's club to go get the, the wings there. Um, that's what he, I what thought he, he said he had to leave for his grandpa's funeral. Uh, that was, that was what, got him out but what he actually okay. did was was going there uh okay yeah so, that's where i saw i saw like a deleted post on instagram from one of his friends outing him yes um yeah. where he's he's wearing the nba's uh bubble mask hold on breaking news breaking news what do we got anya's watching the anya's watching the game on my lap and the game's on mute and it just flashed to tim lopes on the on the steps and anya says he's cute so, cutest Mariner award, Tim Lopes. Tim Lopes is hot. 
Let's, yeah, let's, he's a good looking guy. He is very good looking. Yeah. And pro- probably not doing justice being stuck in a in a gray uniform. Um, either. Yeah. But yeah, Tim Tim Lopes is a good looking guy. Uh, City of Atlanta claimed Lou Williams, and it also claimed uh, the Miami Marlins, who that was that was the culprit for for their COVID outbreak was uh, that a few players allegedly went out in Atlanta. So you took my you took my uh, my Eric Burns bike ride because that was my thing. Like, come on, guys, really? Like, that's what you're gonna do? If you knew you couldn't do it, what's the shame in opting out? Like, yeah. if you knew you couldn't do it, mm-hmm. because now you're just screwing up the whole league anyway. Right, and that's the way we were talking about earlier. Is that uh, that that I think would happen? Of just a bunch of guys that are like, yeah, I'd rather not take the entire fall for for uh, bringing this whole shit down. Um, yeah. And they shouldn't. Like, if, if, the play, if, But the players have to have – I mean, you can talk about the MLB and criticize them for playing during a pandemic or whatever, but the players know what's going on. They can't be that stupid to do something like that. And it's within your right to not play. Obviously, that that, yeah. that, that, that might risk your ability. Like we talked about with uh, with Brock Holt last week, that might risk your ability to, to stay in a career. But if, if you want to do this, you got to do it right. And, and, and that's – like, come on, man. I work in a – I – all my employees who work in a restaurant, nowhere near as prestigious and lucrative as what these guys are doing. I even ask of them, please don't go out and do risky things right now. Because like, if you get it, we're all going to get it. Yeah. So, so how is, how, how a baseball player who's sitting in a clubhouse with these guys for six hours a day thinks that that's okay is beyond me. So the city of Atlanta has, has claimed uh, not one, but two, uh, two professional leagues uh, protocols. So uh, they are undefeated and the Braves are doing well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all good there. Uh, all right, Phil, that's uh that's a wrap on our first actual baseball. Uh, we're going to call this pod figgins because stay, stay tuned yeah. on that. We're going to, we're going to move over to, to a different feed here at least in a, in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, great chat as always. And uh, we'll do you too. Again. Anya, do you have anything to say? I miss you. Anya, Anya, misses you. Anya needs her own segment. Just, yeah. a, just an un, unfiltered hot takes with Anya. Anya talking baseball could be a good segment. Yeah. Anya on first. <laughs> yeah. How about it? Anya on first. I like that. All right. Well, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you next time.